We are in First Timothy 3. That's a little bit better. And, and I think the issue that when you look at leadership, last week we covered elders, this week we're covering the whole role of deacons. When it comes to leadership, we have a lot of faulty views, especially in the church. See, leadership in a church is not based on tenure, seniority, or position in the church of Jesus Christ. Never is, never was. We all would do to take a good look at our church's founder, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 2, 1-5, they're going to put it up. I'm reading from the message. He says this, If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what, and not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. Uh, he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then lived a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. That passage lays aside for us the true example of leadership. Today we're facing a vacuum in leadership in our nation and in the nation below us as well. Everywhere we look, we see a crisis in terms of leadership. And as we look around, we're saying, you know, what is a leader really anyways? And somebody said, if you're going to run for election, better have a clean closet because I'll tell you what, stuff will come up, they will find it, they will dig it up and point the finger at you. And yet in the Church of Jesus Christ, leadership is very, very different, as Scripture points out. To share the mind of Christ is to let go of all self-interest and put others first. If you're not putting others first, you're not qualified to be a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ. It's to seek the best for all concerned in every situation. I've quoted this. I said, we need to lose ourselves in the pursuit of God's kingdom and experience the fullness of God's peace, love, and joy, or joy and love. There's a big difference between self-respect and self-importance. See, when you draw attention to yourself and others focus their attention on you, and the less you're able to see the presence of Christ in you, it's not about you. The question is, are you a servant? And that's something we all have a hard time doing. You know, it's been great having Joel and Kelsey and the kids here. But I saw a lot of things in my grandkids that just kind of reminded me about the depravity of humanity. <laughs> One of the phrases I've heard a lot this weekend is, but I don't want to. <laughs> I hear it a lot. I'm going, where did they learn that? And the, the whole idea and, and the whole issue of submitting to leadership, they don't want to. And nobody taught it. They just knew that. And yet, the thing is, Jesus lived a life of surrender and self-denial. The whole issue was, it's not about me. 
It's not about me at all. He emptied himself, the Scripture says. He also humbled himself and bore the burdens of others. His whole focus is, what can I do to bless and encourage those around me? Mark 10, 45 says this, For the Son of Man came also not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was not about what he was getting out of it. It's about what he could do to serve others. In today's passage, we read these words that Paul writes regarding deacons. And for First Timothy 3, if you've got your Bibles, iPads, cell phones, uh, hopefully not on Facebook this morning, verses 8 through 13 of chapter 3, it says, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truth of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. See, all believers are called to be servants to the Lord, to his church. Some are to be official servants with the title deacon or deaconess, or last week we talked about the role of elders. But the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakon, which means meaning to serve, to minister. It's the idea of being a servant. We see the first deacons were appointed in the church in the book of Acts, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through to 6. And this is the passage where the role of deacons first becomes fleshed out in Scripture. So in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, speaking of the disciples, the followers of Christ, we call them elders, gathered all together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Isn't that intriguing? What's the qualification? Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of wisdom. Ones who are responsible. And what was the job going to be? Waiting on tables. Take a look. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, the canner, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them, and uh, commissioned them to their jobs of look, waiting on tables, a servant ministry. We see four things happen here. First of all, there was a physical need in the church. The pastors, overseers couldn't meet the need, so they selected men who met certain guidelines. The apostles prayed, laid hands on them, and then commissioned them, here's your job, what you're to do. Although deacons are not in charge of spiritual matters such as determining church doctrine, ruling what goes on in the church, or praying for the sick, God has certain personal prerequisites for men who are to serve as deacons in a church. This is what God says in his word. First of all, he says the deacon is to be worthy of respect. He's to be serious about spiritual and leadership issues. And so he says, doesn't God kind of lay the rules really tough? And the answer is, yes, he does. Because God wants us all to understand that leadership in the church is significantly different than anywhere else in the world, my friend. 
He's to be a man of character who calls for respect from people who he serves. People look up to that individual and say, I respect that individual. I see God's working in that person's life. I see a man of character. The deacon is also to be sincere, Scripture says. He cannot be a man who tells one person one thing, another person the opposite, and attempt to be a people pleaser. Can't be that. He must not be double-tongued. This is individuals to be a man of his word. If he says, I'm going to do something, he carries it through. He does what he's asked to do. That's a man of character. And God says, that's who I'm choosing to be leaders in a church. Because why? Because who your leaders are tend to be who the people model themselves after. And you have to ask yourself as an individual, as I walk through life, there's always people following me. As a father... I recognize that my sons will, to a certain degree, either model themselves after me or not. But I'm to live my life so that my speech, my conduct, my character always is seen and evidenced by others. If you look back in your own lives, you know, somebody says, you know, when you were growing up, Adrian, in terms of looking at your pastors, I was blessed to have a pastor, one pastor my entire life, and uh, for 20 years. And it was Pastor Sue Sylvester. Do I really remember all the messages Pastor Stu Sylvester actually preached? The answer is, no, I don't. But here's what I remembered, what he modeled before me. I know he loved people. I know that he was an evangelist. I know he knocked on doors. I know he led people to Christ. I remember seeing the front of the church with people coming to Christ, people who had led to Christ, people who he was in the process of leading, and he continually modeled that every single year day in and day out. I also knew that he was a man of prayer. Why? Because he modeled it. I saw it. And so when, when God calls us to look at Scripture and listen to the guidelines for leadership in the church, he's talking about here are the characteristics that need to be evident in a person's life because people tend to model themselves after people around them. So how did you learn to pray? I listen to other people pray because they modeled prayer for me. So the qualifications that the deacon should not be indulging much wine is the same as elders in the church. And Paul seemed to distance himself from those who taught or preached for the sake of money as well in the church, people that are greedy for gain. Because somebody says, well, you know, shouldn't he be a kind of a leader of church? He's a really good businessman. I said, being a good businessman is not a qualification to be a leader in the church. Go, And so that's why I always challenge people, when you want to look at the things, what does the Bible teach? Because sometimes we tend to be ignorant of what the Bible teaches. And we have to hold high the standards that God's Word lays out all the time. So somebody says, what's that do for you? What it means for me is that I have to continue to examine my heart before others and before myself and before, before God to make sure, am I walking? Am I tracking with the way God wants me to? So he warns against deacons who pursue dishonest gain. Many of these stories still abound about Judas pocketing money for himself while professing to be a follower of Christ. Because it came out in Scripture that he, uh, he uh, pocketed money for himself in the process of following Christ. He wanted to make sure that neither he nor churches would be accused of uh, any grand money-making schemes. He wanted to know that a man was financially, a man of financial integrity in terms of how he led. And if somebody says, well... Yeah, that's interesting. And somebody says, as we're listening to this pastor, I, I don't have any ideas about being a deacon or an elder, so I really doesn't apply. Uh, wrong. 
the idea here is that God lays these standards out for leadership in the church period, but he also asks us as those who follow Christ that these characteristics are also worthy of us following in our own lives. The deacons must also lay deep hold of the deep truths of the faith. This reading is a warning against allowing people into leadership who are ungrounded, who don't know the Word of God. And so sometimes when I talk to people about leadership, I said, tell me what your time in the Word's like. Do you spend time reading God's Word daily, faithfully? And the answer is no. Sorry. I said, this is something that's important. You've got to know the Word of God because this is a position of spiritual leadership. And so he says, whoa. See, if they can't back up what they believe... It's because they're not studying God's Word, and we live in a day of biblical illiteracy where people don't know the Bible. I meet people more and more often that, who I find are in spiritual leadership, and you'll ask them a question, and they can't explain because they really don't study the Word of God. It's a sad truth. And you wonder why there's struggles in churches, why there's struggles, because there's struggles in leadership, there's struggles in the pews as to what does the Bible teach? And see, there were already problems in the church in Ephesus as false teachers were assuming leadership positions and leading the congregation astray by their teaching. See, the deep truths of the faith deal with the whole teaching. What does the Bible say? Main truths such as the incarnation of Christ, the fact that God became flesh in 1 Timothy 3.16. Do you understand what that means? Can you explain it? Can you talk to me about the indwelling spirit of the, uh, the uh, indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit of God, as seen in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and Ephesians 4, 30 as well? Or what is the importance of being indwelt with the Holy Spirit really mean in one's life? Can you explain that? No, I can't. You need to. Do you understand what the gospel of Christ is all about? Well, people sometimes have a hard time explaining that. You say, really? Uh, yeah. What does salvation mean? You know, sometimes I'll, when before people become uh, baptized, I'll say, can you explain to me what salvation means? Talk to me, share with me. And sometimes I have to coach them along because they have a basic understanding, but they need to have a broader understanding of what does salvation really mean. Because somebody says, well, I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. Uh, you need to explain that a little bit more. Really? Uh, yeah. Either saying, them, you need to understand, number one, what does, it mean, what does sin mean? What does it mean to be a sinner? Because if you don't understand sin and being a sinner, then you're not going to understand the grace of God, my friend. Because when you understand sin and you understand what being a sinner is about, then you begin to grasp why Jesus Christ has to come and die on a cross for your sin, that you might have eternal life. People say, well, why do I need to be saved? Because you're a sinner. You understand about the return of Christ in Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, talks about the fact that Christ is coming back. Again, an area of Scripture people are just sometimes oblivious to. In terms of morals and character, Christians, uh, finally, are so illiterate. And the challenge is, if you have an illiterate leadership in Scripture, you're going to have illiterate people in the pews. And the idea is, that's why God, again, raises the standard. Do you know the Word? The truths must be held with conviction and become part of the church leadership's life and heart. If you don't believe in God's Word, you shouldn't be leading a church. It only needs to be believed, but it needs to be held with a clear conscience so that I live my life according to what God's Word teaches. 
as we learn what God requires of us, we find out God's heart and we're under obligation to walk in that knowledge. See, doctrine must penetrate the person's will so that his conscience before God and others is blameless as he seeks to live out biblical truth in his life. God says, I want you to live out what you say you profess to believe. And that's the biggest challenge we sometimes face when we talk to people about putting their faith in Christ because every time they, you bring up the gospel, they'll always reference somebody that professes to be a Christian that lives a, a lifestyle that doesn't measure up with the word. And they say, if that's what being a Christian is about, I want nothing to do with it. And you're like, oh. And then, of course, you try to point to, well, look at the Savior and how he lived his life. Don't look at other Christians. Eee. But that's truth. So the importance of being a, a leader is not that we give people written exams. It's a life that withstands observation and is the best credential for service. And so we watch a person in everything they do and say, as they live their lives out, as they flesh their lives out, do we see the kind of character that we want the rest of the church modeling themselves after? And that's the acid test. A deacon is held to the same standard as an elder. No, it's up for debate whether Paul's talking about a deacon's wives or just responsibilities for deaconesses. But there are three standards for wives as well in this setting. For all Christian women, not just, and the, things, the three things he brings up in this chapter is they're not to be a malicious gossip, they're to be temperate, and to be faithful in all things. He says, these are the characteristics. You want a godly husband and you want a godly wife who emulate Christ-likeness in their leadership in the church. And you're like, wow, it's, it's tough. Now you're thinking like, man, man, who measures up? But the thing is, again, this is the standard that God sets. It's not a low one that every, anybody can do. It's the one that he raises the bar through Scripture saying, this is what you need to strive to be like as the Holy Spirit of God works within your life as you submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ. As you, what? Submit. You seek to be more and more like him, a servant. Yeah. A deacon is to be a, a one-woman man. He said, well, that should be straightforward. But he must be committed to the covenant of marriage. He must be faithful to his wife, not a flirt, not into pornography, not the kind of guy that uh, flirts with every woman he meets. In the same way, also, a deacon should manage his children and household well. Because if he doesn't know how to manage his household, he shouldn't be managing a church. And so you see the emphasis again that Scripture keeps bringing up, what's your home life like? What's your home life like? What's your home life like? Because that's the acid test. And again, you say, well, okay, that's interesting. But if, if you feel a little overwhelmed as you read through this passage, you say, wow. You have to come and just, again, submit, bow the knee to Christ and say, Lord, Help me to be that godly man. Help me to be that godly woman that you want me to do. Because, Lord, yours are the one setting these standards. And this is what you want out of me. And I need to, by the grace of God, try to measure up. But, Lord, I want to do it in such a way that I recognize it's only through your Holy Spirit working in my life that I can even come close. Because of my own strength, I can't do it. I can't. 
because I just can't say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to just will it. No, it doesn't happen that way. And so he also concludes the qualification for elders and deacons. He does it by elevating the positions of leadership and those who serve. He says, these are the standards. And so certain teachers had led the church astray from the true faith in Ephesus. So he's saying, when you pick people for leadership, here are the standards because if they hold to these, it'll lead the church in the right what? Direction. Does the church need direction, my friend? Yeah, it does. And how does God give the church direction? Through elders, through deacons, who are holy, godly, seeking to live their lives by God's word. By the way, when it comes to elders and deacons, are they perfect? Thank you for that vote of assurance. No, they're not. And when it's pointed out to them that they're not, they need to be willing to submit and say, you know what, you're right. Humble themselves, own it, and step up again. Because, but by the grace of God. But by the grace of God. And so, leadership of the church is a noble task that has its own rewards. Those who serve well gain an excellent standing before Christ, is what uh, the Apostle Paul says. They also gain, gain great assurance in their faith. What's it? it means that a person who faithfully follows Christ attains confidence in prayer and service as they keep expanding their ministries as they grow closer to Christ. And I can tell you that as I've served Christ and worked with other men who serve Christ, that as we seek to serve him and follow him and submit to his leadership, we see in a greater way more and more how God is working in and through our lives and in the churches we've led. See, as the disciples jockeyed for power and position, Jesus told them this, because they were like, who's the best? Who's the greatest? He says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. There it is again. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many in the Gospel of Matthew 20, verses 26 and 28. Be a what? Servant. On the night of his betrayal, whenever there was a time Jesus needed to be served, he told his disciples, I'm among you as one who serves. I am a servant. And the highest calling, my friend, in life, not always elder, deacon, it's I am a servant of Jesus Christ. He demonstrated what he meant by rising from the Last Supper, taking a basin of water and a towel, and performing the servant's task of washing the disciples' smelly, dirty feet. He showed his disciples that this thing. All disciples are servants. Follow of Christ, you are a servant. In John 13, 14 to 17, we read these words. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should be should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is this messenger greater than the one who sent him. Know that you know these things. You will be blessed if you what? You know that phrase? Uh, we know these things. The question is, do we do them? Do we do them? Do what? Wash smelly feet. Do dirty servant jobs. 
How people who will never ever repay you or even thank you. But such service is part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus Christ. See, everyone who knows Christ will be Christ-like and acting like his servants. Heard a phrase and I like it. It says, to be a leader, you must be a follower. You hear that? And the question that needs to be asked is, who are you following? Because if you're following Jesus Christ, you will seek to be a servant and help where he calls you and asks you. Are there ever times that you want to say to God, but I don't want to? Truth is, we've all been there. We really have. We said, Lord, I, I, but I don't want to. And God says, yeah, you need to. Because the hardest thing, folks, that we have when it comes to leadership is learning to submit to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And some people will tell me this. They'll say, Pastor, if I do that, I'll, I'll be a doormat. Really? Well, frankly, I'd rather be a doormat for Jesus and allow him to work through my life than to try to be a somebody when actually you're a nobody. Servants are to be followers. Leaders are to be followers. And again, somebody says, well, Pastor, if we do that, that means people will take advantage of us. Okay, hands. How many have had somebody take advantage of you? Okay, there's a few that haven't had that happen. That's really cool. I'd just like to. Can I talk to you after service about that? I'd like to see how how you do that. It's hard to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Because when we become a servant of Jesus Christ, it means the old man, the flesh, is going to die every single day. Because it's not about what I want. It's what does Jesus want. What does Jesus want? What does Jesus want in your life? What's he want to do? And what's holding you back from doing what he wants. He set standards. He set guidelines. He said, wait a minute. Pastor has to go through this. Man, I'm never going to be a leader. It's never, that's, that's the wrong attitude. The, wrong, the right attitude is, I want to bow my head in submission and say, God, help me to measure up to what you've asked me to measure up to. And by your grace, give me the strength to be the person you want me to be. A servant of the living God. That's what he asks. I am a servant, greatest calling you could ever have, a servant of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. Lord, definitely a challenging passage when it comes to the whole role of leadership in a church, being a deacon. We talked last week about being an elder. And Lord, this the qualifications and qualities that, Lord, you set in your word. Lord, we all recognize we don't make the mark. We don't measure. But, Lord, you call us. You call us to a high standard. 
you call us to a high calling. And Lord, you ask that we would submit ourselves fully and completely to your leadership in our lives. So Lord, as we follow you, we start to become like you. Oh, to be like you is the greatest thing, Father. Serving self, serving our own ego, serving the old nature, the old man, whatever we want to call it, Lord, does not bring honor and glory to you. So, Father, humble us and use us as your servants. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.